welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, a podcast which explores the ways that relationships today are different than they were for past generations. I'm your host, M. Diekman. On our last episode, I spoke to Jane and Marv Goodman, a couple who met online in their 60s and are now happily married. One of the things that struck me the most about my conversation with them was that when I asked them about why they got married, they really had to stop to think about it. Then they said it was mainly because of tax and insurance reasons. It wasn't necessarily that they valued marriage for its own sake. That attitude struck me as really, well, millennial. A lot of millennials tend to be more cautious and hesitant about marriage than their parents were. As millennials, we're more likely to move in with a partner without being married than our parents were. And if living together does lead to marriage, it takes longer than it used to. According to Pew Research, the median age for a first marriage is now 29 for men and 27 for women, the highest in modern history. I know from speaking to my friends that a lot of people my age are uninterested in getting married, at least right now, all the times because we've seen so many marriages fall apart. For this episode, I thought I'd speak to a real live millennial about why he doesn't want to get married. And then to end things on a little bit of a happier note, talk to a couple who's been happily married for a long time about how they made it work. My name is Garrett Colwell, and I'm 23 years old. I was six years old when my parents got divorced. From all the from all the BS I went through and everything, just, just seeing many divorces from my dad and my mom and now my brother, it seemed like too much of a waste of time. You put, you invest all your mind and heart into someone, and one day, you know, they, they just wake up and they can tell you, you know what, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you. I just want, I just want your money now, pretty much. And to me, it's just a, just a big waste of time. My mom and dad were together for 14 years. And uh, the last two years of their marriage, my mom was going around cheating on my dad. And she, she relapsed into drugs again. And she just was uh, going down the wrong path. And in that, she put my dad like $70,000 in debt before she left. And just, you know, it ruined my dad. Well, yeah, my dad's actually been married um, four times. He's on his fourth marriage. Um, his first one was his high school sweetheart. Um, they got married. He went to the Air Force. He got stationed over in Korea. And his, his, she was like, no, I can't do this. I can't be with you because you're in Korea. Well, during that whole time, you know, he'd come back on leave and then they'd be fine and the kid would come out and then my dad would have to go back. Well, one of the last times that he went back to Korea, his wife sent him pretty much like a Dear John letter, like, I'm done. Um, and she, she was able to be really manipulative towards my dad and everything like that. She actually convinced both of their children that my dad didn't want anything to do with them. Wow. So they actually haven't had a strong relationship until this past year. And they're 32 and 27. He got divorced from her. And then my then my mom came around, you know, that he thought, oh, man, this is love my life. Uh, there's this, there's that about her. She's good, she's good with my other kids. Um, and it just turned out my mom, like they, they, from what I've seen in pictures, like they, they looked like they were in love and it looked like they're having a great time. But, you know, my mom, she ended up shacking up with her drug dealer and had a kid with him while my 
my mom was married to, well, my mom was married to my dad. Yeah. And then my dad got married a third time. You know, he, he fell into religion. He was all about, oh, you know, a Christian woman's going to help me with everything. She, uh, she did a lot for him. But then again, she went and cheated on my dad, took everything from him. 401k, took a house that we had to live in, um, tried to take his truck. It was just a mess. So they got divorced. Well, my dad went on and he, like, did the whole dating, um, like, eHarmony when it first came out. He was actually on that for a little while. Hmm. And he did that and, you know, just nothing ever happened with it. And one time he came home from work, he was like, so I went on a date last night with a girl from work. Um, and pretty much a week later, she moved all that crap in. And I was like, okay, here we go again. Yeah, like, he's nuts. Um, they, they were together for nine years, not married. Um, then finally, after it all, on the 10th year, they got married and now they've been together for like 12 years. Okay, so that's Garrett's dad's story. What about his mom? Mom's always been heavy into drugs, I guess, when she was... When she was 16, that's kind of like when she discovered everything. And then um, that, that's always been her downfall. It's just she likes to party. Garrett's mom first got married to a man who was in the Air Force when she was 21 years old. She was seeing him. She got married. Um, I guess he ended up beating the shit out of my mom on multiple occasions. Just, you know, you get too drunk and I guess you can't. I guess you don't have the best judgment, which is stupid. You should never lay your hands on a female to begin with, or vice versa. Eventually, they got a divorce, and it wasn't long before Garrett's mom ran into his dad. So, they so they met each other at the grocery store and did all that stuff. They got married. She had my oldest brother in '89. Then I came out in '93. Well, around '96, that's kind of when things went south with my mom and dad and that's when she met this guy out in the valley who is who had been her drug dealer probably for like two years and when she met him she kind of just was like oh you know i have this perfect life you know and i have a boyfriend and i'll never get caught and she got caught by my dad you know and he was always willing to forgive and forgive and looking back how, how can you forgive someone so many times for doing the same stupid thing why? Why you don't let somebody who cheated on you, who spent all of the all of the rent money, all of the all of the food money on drugs, you know, leaving your kids to not not have anything, but like, but but it sounds stupid, but leave us with nothing. She literally did. She left us with broken hearts. She left us with an empty home and that feeling. I don't think anybody should ever have to feel, especially as young as me and my brother were. It kind of made my brother dead on the inside. But, um, so that all happened. My mom finally got clean and she stopped seeing that guy. Her and my dad had been divorced. Um, then one day my mom comes home and I was visiting her and she was like, oh, hey, I have a new boyfriend. And a couple months later, she was married to uh, this guy named Robbie, who she's still married to. In 2012, Garrett's mom and Robbie moved out to Missouri. He said he was really happy for them at the time. They were both clean, had gotten great jobs, and were looking forward to getting even better jobs. But then, last October, Garrett went out to go visit them. And here it was, 2016, my mom, she gained 
gained like 200 pounds. She was using meth again. She's smoking pot. She just, she just fell apart. All that alcohol and drug use, it, it, it's literally killing her. But her and her husband, the whole time sitting there denying, oh, you know, it's not because of that. It's not because of the alcohol. It's not because of it. How can you be so stupid and blind to that? And how can you, how can you build one up? How can you build each other up by saying, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not the drinking. We can keep drinking. When literally I talked to both their doctors and their doctor said, no, they're dying. They don't have long. That's literally why I don't want to waste my time with it. Now, if you heard my brothers, oh, my, oh, so that's another one. I'll tell you about my brother. He's 27 years old as well. He's been married twice. He is, and he's going into his third marriage. And he's been married since he was 18. Well, he met this girl in high school. They're the perfect couple, you know. They're always, always with each other, always smiling. He was always working and providing for the family, and she'd be at school to make life better. So when she got, when she graduated school, they could both make great incomes. Well, I think they were married for three years. They had a beautiful kid. His name's Ashton. Super cool kid. For as long as he had known her, Garrett's brother's wife had had this gay best friend. They'd been friends since sophomore year of high school, and every time she went on vacation with her family, she'd talk about how excited she was to see him. Turns out she'd been cheating on my brother the whole marriage with this guy that, who was supposedly her gay best friend. So that, that threw trust issues into the thing for him. Well, imagine that was my, that was my brother's love of his life. He went on. And uh, he started working where I worked. He's actually a lieutenant. And he was seeing, he was seeing an officer. And so where do you turn after you lose the love of your life? Garrett said his brother openly described his next relationship as a rebound. They were official, but she was cheating on him. Well, things happened, and they started having kids together. They got married, and then about seven months ago... He finally told her, he's like, I'm done. You're still cheating on me. I'm over it. Like, you were just, like, to make him feel, feel better about the um, divorce and everything like that, he was just like, you were just the rebound. You were just this. The only good thing that came out of you was my two beautiful kids. Yeah. So then my brother started seeing this other girl at work who actually happens to be one of my best friends at work. He came home one day. He's like, oh, by the way, uh, I'm dating your friend. I was like, okay, we'll just, you guys keep it professional at work and don't hurt each other and we should be good. Well, his divorce isn't even final and he's engaged to this person. Garrett said one of the saddest parts about his brother's divorces is watching his brother's kids go through it. The youngest are only two and three. So they kind of don't understand, but they do at the same time. You know, dad's not going home with mom or we have to be at this, we have to be at mom's house and we don't see dad at the same time. It's just, it's sad to see. Nobody should have to see that. Since Garrett was also really young when his parents got divorced, I asked him if that affected his view of marriage from a young age. No, I, you know, when I was little, I always used to dream about it. It sounds kind of silly, but I thought, no, that's awesome. You get to spend your life with one person, and you guys are supposed to be each other's rock. You guys are supposed to just be there for each other. Growing up in a church, you know, that's just what you always see. So the happy couples, you know, sharing certain things. It was a it's a it was a, it was a stronger camaraderie than a best friend. There's there's a couple people I've dated where I was like, this could be the one. 
stories up in my head like, well, what if this happens? So it scares me away from it as well. Because I was too afraid that if things were to be so great, I'd end up like my dad. Have two kids and no mom around. I told Garrett that it made sense to me why he was so afraid to get married. He'd seen pictures of how happy his mom and dad used to be, and he'd seen firsthand how happy his brother and his first wife used to be. So just because you're happy with someone, it might not mean that things will work out in the end. But then Garrett said something that surprised me. Marriage is, marriage is a beautiful thing, but if you actually are in love with someone, then you've got to do it. This kind of threw me off. After everything Garrett had been through, and after all the examples of just how not beautiful marriage can be, why did he still think it was such a beautiful thing? I asked. My grandma and grandpa, they're both passed away now, but um, my grandma got married at 14. <laughs> my grandpa was 17. Garrett said his grandparents grew up on neighboring farms in Erie, Pennsylvania. Sometimes work was more important than school, so he'd be out working in the fields with their family. And, uh, you know, one day he, like, he just, he saw her. And he was just, he's like, I'll never forget that moment. She was just, she's the sweetest thing I'd ever seen. The way she talked, everything. Well, back then, you know, age wasn't such a big thing. So 14 and 17, that was kind of normal. <laughs> so her dad invited my grandfather over to, for dinner one night. And my grandfather's like, all right, cool, for sure, I'll go over. Well, <laughs> he said that night, he when he started talking with her after dinner and everything, like that, he said, so pretty much, are we going to get married or what? <laughs> they were together every single day from, uh, what, what year was it? I want to say it was like 40-something, I can't really remember the date, but from 1940 to... 2010, when my grandma lost her life, there wasn't a day they weren't together. Okay, so that's pretty beautiful, right? I had a friend tell me once, you know those old couples who still walk around holding hands and sitting together on park benches? When I get married, that's what my wife and I are going to be like someday. And of course, when people get married, I think that's what they're all hoping for. A relationship that stays strong for a lifetime. What's it like to be in a marriage that lasts for decades and decades and is still happy? I certainly don't know, so this week I spoke to a couple who does know, so I could find out. This couple was nice enough to share with me some pretty deeply personal stuff, so they requested I don't mention their names. But anyway, let's start at the beginning. The couple originally met in an electrical engineering class in college when they were both 21 years old. It was my last class before I graduated, and my last day, my last final, and out the door I asked for a phone number. So yes, it's very romantic. We met in electronics class. I mean, I thought it was pretty romantic, considering the couple is about to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. I joked with them about not knowing the traditional way to celebrate 40 years. Well, it, it could be Ruby, actually. I think it's Ruby. No, no, it's a European uh, tour. Yeah, we're taking an 11-day cruise around England, Ireland, Scotland, taking the family and our future daughter-in-law. When I suggested that they just do both, I mean, why not? She agreed to me that it was a great idea. They were laughing and joking and making marriage look easy, honestly. I also thought it was kind of cute that all those years ago, it took the man a whole semester of sitting next to the woman to ask her out. It wasn't so much the courage, I had to break off from a previous girlfriend before I could. 
Okay, so maybe that part wasn't that romantic. But what about their first date? Were there butterflies? Fireworks? Was it one of those things where they just knew? (laughs) (laughs) Our first date did not go well at all. For starters, the woman told me that she met both of his best friends on their first date. And she thought both of them were cuter than him. Uh, as she alluded to, we had several friends, and we were all going to get together, go out to no- O'Neill Park, and take a hike in the park. On their way to the park, the man, who was driving, had to stop to get gas. He rolled the window down first, and then when he was finished, he rolled it back up. First time I did, I popped up a pencil. So on the second time down, I shoved the pencil lead into my fingertip. So I'm sitting here with a piece of, you can see the little mark, that's my only tattoo from where the piece of lead went into my fingertip. So, of course, all of us had to pack up and go over to the emergency room. Now it gets more fun. Well, she's out there learning how to play hearts with my friends in the waiting room. And they were card sharks. And I'm sitting out there on a gurney. Mind you, I'm on a gurney, laying down with my arm in this tray, with this giant wrapping around it for a piece of pencil lead. And they can't get to me because there's been a major accident. They're dragging these bodies in left and right. And as they go by, this one guy says, oh, my God, it's my friend. I don't think he's going to hold his, you know, he's coming. I think they broke his leg. My God, what happened to your hand? Uh, I've got a piece of pencil lead in it. So by the time all this is over, we've been there about an hour and a half or so. It was almost four hours. Almost four hours. I mean, it, it's time. Is, so they pluck it out. Now, they still want to go to no, out O'Neill Park. So we head out, and, of course, we get lost. By the time we got there, they had already been, you know, gone off. And so we're sitting there. Would you explain what your medical condition was at the time? Well, I had hives at the time. The night before, I had been refinishing a chest of drawers. And I, apparently, I was allergic to the stuff because I woke up with hives. And they, they slowly got better during the day. They were pretty much everywhere. We don't need to be specific. <laughs> so let's just say that first date between me and the hospital for removal. Of you forgot of- the beehive. Oh, and the beehive, too. When we paused in the park, it was on a bench, and there was a beehive built under it. (laughs) Not a good date. Our second date was much better. We basically went to a graduation party thrown by one of his friends. We each got a plate of food, went out to sit by the pool, and spent the rest of the night just talking. Well, that's good. But it kind of helped but wonder, after a first date as terrible as that, why go out again? Uh, I I could lie and say that it was the sense of adventure. The only adventure I was going to get in my life would be following him around. But, no, I just liked him. Well, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to call it almost like a reset. Uh, Let's call this, you know, let's ignore the first and let's try again. And it was much more amiable then. It was amiable to say the least. After that great second date, Things got pretty serious pretty fast. We were engaged about three months after we met each other. Was it that early? Yeah, we were engaged by the end of the summer. That seemed pretty fast to me, but I wasn't sure how fast it really was for the 70s, so I just asked. It was a little fast then, but I've got to say our son just got engaged after about three months. Yeah, she's a wonderful young woman. I'm delighted by his choice. Despite making the decision to get engaged so quickly, the couple stayed engaged for a pretty long time. It was about a year before they were married. This was a decision the couple said was important to them because at that point, he had already been working for a year, and she had graduated college. 
This way, they could start their married life with some semblance of stability. We did want to have those milestones completed, and we had the same kind of mentality when we were getting ready to start a family. She said they waited until he had finished his two master's degrees, and both of them had finished their MBAs before they got busy, as she said. So I was 31, and you, th- and you were 30 when Ronnie was born? I was 30 when she was born, yes. Yeah, so now that's a little different one, because at that point, most people have had their first child probably around 24, 25. So we were about five or six years out of sync with our generation at that point. We married earlier, but started our family later. Okay, well, we're probably not all going to end up with two master's degrees and an MBA, but I told the couple that their approach made sense to me. To want to make sure they were stable before they brought any kids into the mix. I don't think you can accuse us of being stable. Oh, sorry. Um, I am bipolar, and that was not diagnosed until about 10 years ago. I was diagnosed as depressive before that. But the first 10 years of our marriage, I put that poor man through hell. Her husband, for his part, did not seem phased. And back then, uh, when we started having difficulties, we went for uh, marriage counseling with a psychologist. Psychologists do not understand mental illnesses. You cannot talk to depression. Depression, most people recognize today, you have to deal with carefully controlled medications, and it's not something that you can easily do. Depression is a medical condition. It's not, you're not sad. There's a big difference between being sad and being depressed. You can be sad and depressed at the same time. Now, it's not also one-sided here, too. Nobody recognized that I was ADD to I was almost 40. Because of that, part of my personality had certain issues. I was totally clueless in picking up on emotional and social cues. And I would be extremely, people call blunt, but me, I was just uh, making, you know, saying as I saw it, not recognizing that saying it that way or not understanding how people are, are hearing that was hurting them and also hurting me. And I would go so far as to say you weren't being blunt, you were being brutal and didn't recognize it. Yeah, see, that's just, people would call it brutal, but in my mind, the last thing in the world I've ever wanted to do is hurt people. And I look back at that and I'm saying, I never, ever intended to annoy or, or offend people, but it didn't matter. So we were one between, messed up family. Yeah. So with both parties going through decades worth of undiagnosed mental health problems, one suffering from unpredictable highs and lows, and the other being, in a sense, clinically insensitive, it seems like the couple would be really incompatible. I wondered aloud how they made it work. We almost didn't from time to time. She said she blames her husband for the whole thing. He's incredibly stubborn and incredibly committed, and he wasn't willing to walk away during the worst of the times, and there were some bad ones. I, in my own mind, I look at the fact is I never give up. The husband said that when he looks at his wife, he has always seen this true image of her. Sometimes that image is blocked or hidden by her personality traits or what she's going through, but I've always seen that core, and I've refused to give up on finding that core and getting it out. 
And so that's pretty much what kept me going for 40 years. So the two of us, because of the medication, are more of our, who we are is becoming more real than hidden. And luckily, they're, not, they're starting to merge pretty well now. The woman said that one of the other great parts about getting older is that when you look back, you gain so much perspective. The things that seemed like such a big deal when you were younger don't really matter anymore. They're just not important. She said the most important thing in her life, looking back, was falling in love with her husband. She mock-whispered this to me, feigning secrecy, so he wouldn't hear. And I promised not to tell him. Oh, okay, thanks. Don't, don't tell him. I kind of think he knows, but I would never have made it through some of the roughest times without unwavering support, and his support was unwavering. It's, he's a remarkable person. Well, thank you for the kind words, but uh, you've always been worth it. I've had to tell her every time when she would be down herself, and I look her in the eye and say, I only do this because I believe you are worth it. If I didn't think that your core wasn't this quality, I could see why people would walk away. But I've always seen that. It's been obscured. It's been in pain. But I knew it was there. And God damn it, I wasn't going to walk away and have her finally arrive later, and I've lost that. I've invested too much. I've earned the right to enjoy this now. Yeah, 38 years of pain to get to two years of me being stable. Hey, got 30 more years to go. I know it's cheesy, but talking to this couple was really inspiring. They've both been through a lot, and their marriage definitely wasn't always easy. But after years and years of confusion and uncertainty and instability, they stuck with each other through the whole thing. And they said that now, after 40 years, their marriage is happier and stronger than ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without question. She said that one of the more important parts to a happy and successful marriage is just having common interests. But she also pointed out that some of their interests didn't always overlap and that they've been able to share those with one another, like cars. He could give you the specs on a 67 Mustang anytime you ask. On the other hand, I didn't know cars. I didn't care about cars. And we're talking about going to the Good Guys Car Show in Del Mar <laughs> this weekend to see thousands and thousands of them um, because he finally did drag me across the line. I still haven't gotten him to bead shows and gem shows that are more my passion. But, but, but I, do, I do attend with you on occasion. It's not like you go out of my way. But it's interesting you talk about that because I look back at friends and family over X years and those who are still married and what had happened and there was, some, there was one, uh, my friend Phil, uh, Phil Branson, or his sister, was a cheerleader at UCI, classic blonde cheerleader. And she married this guy who was a six-foot-two blonde athlete. You know, think of the two Barbie and Kens. They lasted just for a couple of years because it was all, aren't we a pretty couple versus what do we care about? When this couple spoke about each other, they made it sound like they had known each other forever like they had always been willing to and always would be willing to go the distance to help the other person become the best that he or she could be. How did they know from the very beginning that it would be worth it? For me, he has the world's cutest buns. Yeah, they're adorable. But he's also intelligent, and that was incredibly important to me. He's 
deeply caring about others. He will go the ultimate distance to to fix a problem, to find a solution. He just had to get over some of his little personality quirks to get to the point that other people could see it too. But yeah, I liked a lot about him. When the couple was talking, there was a part of me that kept wondering the same thing I was wondering when Garrett was talking about his parents and all their divorces. They were so in love when they were 21, but how did they know it would last for 40 more years? How did they know it would get even stronger? It seemed like it came down to what the woman just said, about valuing some of the things about her husband that were lasting. His intelligence, his kindness, and apparently, his physique. I think it also came down to what the man was saying earlier, that what he loved about his wife was her core. Interests and temperaments and beliefs changed over the years, but they were committed to being a team. For example, even though they were married in the Catholic Church, over the years, they discussed, reflected, and even shifted their views together. Now they consider themselves more agnostic than anything. One of the things that did help is that as we grew together, our opinions in this area sort of lined up. So I didn't stay as a militant Christian here, and she went off as an atheist there. Uh, We can understand each other's position. Still... I decided to ask the couple point blank. Were there any secrets to a happy marriage? Secrets? There There are are no secrets. secrets. It's called work. Okay, that's probably true, but they ended up offering me a few tips anyway. Here's what she had to say. The key is to marry your best friend. The sexy gotta have it, open mouth kisses stuff, that, that fades away and you don't need that after a while but you're spending all of your time with this person. And if you don't like them, if you don't like the things they like to do, if you don't like their friends, you're in trouble. For his part, the man emphasized the importance of never qualifying an apology. You have to be willing to commit, he said, to just say you're sorry, and that's it, and mean it. If you leave them with that, you haven't left any sharp edges that will cause pain in the future. He also said this. And... I guess there was one rule that we did have. Oh. We never went to sleep angry. We saw the sun shine many times in the morning. Those were some very painful nights. But that was an absolute rule. And I've seen that written up by so many other people. If you go to bed angry, you wake up angry the next day and you keep it going. Then that basically the cancer grows. You've got to stop it. You, you've got to, when you recognize there's a problem, I don't care if you had tickets for the play that night or something else, it doesn't matter. You've got to go and face it. And there have been sometimes it was a f- two hanky box, I mean, two Kleenex box night. Yeah, two hankies wouldn't do it. No, unless they're towels. I don't know if I can end it with a better piece of advice than they just did. Love can fill your heart to the brim with happiness and faith in the world around you. But making it work can also fill tissues, and sometimes towels, with tears. But when I look at the smiling couple, it really seems worth it. Thanks for tuning in again. On the next episode, I interview some really young married couples. What makes them believe in marriage in an age where a lot of people don't? 
What's it like to be married at 19 anyway? Tune in in two weeks to find out. Special thanks to Local Kindergartner for the theme music, which is available on Bandcamp, to Jeff Gardner for teaching me how to use audio editing software and also for making the really neat podcast art. Thank you to Jim Lawson for all the help in getting me started, and thank you to my roommate and parents for putting up with me while I figured this all out. I leave you today with a quote from Milan Kundera. Love is by definition an unmerited gift. Being loved without meriting it is the very proof of real love. If a woman tells me, I love you because you're intelligent, because you're decent, because you buy me gifts, because you don't chase women, because you do the dishes, then I'm disappointed. Such love seems a rather self-interested business. How much finer it is to hear, I'm crazy about you, even though you're neither intelligent nor decent, even though you're a liar, an egotist, a bastard. <laughs>